Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. I'm Pastor Josh. I want to thank you for joining me here today. I I know it's the new year, and so you're joining me in the beginning, well, of a new season and uh, new times. Uh, At Valley View Friends Church, we're learning how to live as God's people, concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. I want to encourage you to subscribe so you can always get the next podcast. Well, I mentioned it's the New Year's. Happy New Year to you. I hope that the New Year is uh, starting well. It should be right at the very beginning. And uh, with New Year's in mind, I got a couple of quotes here to get us thinking about the New Year. First one comes from G.K. Chesterton, uh, and it goes like this. The object of a new year is not that we should have a new year, it's that we should have a new soul. Thomas Manton writes these words, Great resolutions are always vain unless joined with the consideration of our own weakness. The people of God have promised much, but always it is with the concurrence of Christ. Basically, he's saying, whatever resolutions you make, we can't do them. We've got to have Christ accomplish them. Woodrow Kroll, our quitting point is God's beginning point. And Maltby Davenport says this, Good habits are not made on birthdays, nor Christian character at the new year. The workshop of character is everyday life. The uneventful and commonplace hour is where the battle is lost or won. Resolutions. They are often the talk of the new year. I know I have my own that I'm working on this year. But we're also looking at a new year here at Valley View Friends Church and a lot that's going on. And this year at Valley View Friends Church, in our main worship service and so in our podcast, I want to take time to examine a particular trait of God. This trait is what he is, and it's also what he asks of us. And it's just one simple word, holy. And so I want to take time and look at that word this year. Now, we may not always specifically say this sermon's about holiness or God's holiness, but whatever we talk about, I want to bring in the idea of the holiness of God and how we are to be a holy people. I want to talk just for a moment about that idea of holy. And in the Greek language, in the New Testament, whenever you see the word holy, you're often going to see the word hagios. That word simply means this, to be different, to be unlike others. In the Old Testament, it's the word kadosh. And in the word, it's a word that, yeah, it means holy, but it means separateness, to be set apart. Again, like hagios, it's very similar, to be different. Kadosh also means heavy, as in it has a substance to it. It's very real. And so, when we read about God being holy in the Old Testament, that word kadosh is behind it. It is saying God is heavy. And his people, whenever we're called to be holy, it's meaning that we are to be heavy. Now, that's probably not the New Year's resolution that you were looking for, to be heavy this year. Uh, Most people are trying to be the opposite. But holy means to be very real, to be of substance. And yes, more importantly even, to be set apart for a specific purpose. And for us, it's for the glory of God. 
I believe for our part, holiness is about surrender. It's the surrender of our preferences, the surrender of our own independent authority. It's the surrender of our instinct to what seems good or not good. We've been struggling with that since the Garden of Eden. Surrendering means that we submit to someone or something. And in this case, in the case of holiness, it's to God. And this sort of surrender goes against our instinct, but it is vital for our well-being. When you find yourself in the midst of conflict or in the midst of disagreement, holiness is a solution to that conflict, and it's a safety valve to keep yourself in check in the midst of struggle. You know, our Western society is just boiling over with different issues and opinions. I mean, just to be real general about things, there's politics, race, marriage, abortion, climate change, vaccines, you name it. People have opinions. People get upset. People get angry. People want to get other people convinced. It's just, it's, it's like warfare out there. Perhaps your struggle is not over general things in our society, but with a specific person. Holiness is an ingredient left out of almost every single one of these issues. How many people, when they talk talk politics, they talk about holiness? Never. When passions run high and each side thinks they are right, holiness and the surrender it requires serves as a balance upon the people of God. So there are a number of topics that as Pastor Valley View, that I want to lead you through this year. I've been praying, I've been talking with God, we've been, you know, planning, and, and there are a lot of topics I want to lead you through this year, but each of them I want to talk about through the lens of the word holy, so that that holy can serve as the safety valve, the check, the, the probably the, the ingredient that's missing on a lot of the issues. So, a couple of topics we're going to look at this year. Just to give you a preview, we're going to talk about forgiveness. You know, simply put, forgiveness is giving up your right to revenge or really for justice. Forgiveness, I contend, is absolutely necessary for you and for me if we hope to be able to approach the holiness of God and to become holy ourselves. I want to talk about simplicity this year. In a world of activity, obligations, and possessions, simplicity sounds like a nice alternative. The spiritual discipline of simplicity, however, it removes the obstacles that hinder us from holiness. Yeah, I think it's about high time we talk about race and racism here at Valley View. What role does Valley View play in that issue? And I, I know it's a complex and touchy issue. Well, let me tell you, I don't think anybody I know of addresses racism with the holiness of God. And that is very interesting. I think we need to dig into that. I want to talk about grief this year. The Bible has a lot to say about how you and I can grieve well. Biblical grief, it's a holy thing. And its opposite, unbiblical grief... It's a snare that can entrap you. So we need to talk about grief in a holy way. Later this year, we're going to look at the book of Ruth. That story has a lot to tell us about God's providence. And in Ruth's story, we see world-changing decisions that are made by a man and a woman who are dedicated 
to a holy God. Take the holiness out of the book of the roof, out of the book of Ruth, take it out of God, take it the holiness out of um, the characters' stories, and it's going to be a very different story. I want to take time to look at what the Bible has to say about some of the emotional enemies of holiness. And we've talked about them before, but we need to look at them through the lens of the word holy. Because some of the emotional enemies of holiness are anger and fear and divisiveness. Yes, it is possible to have holy anger and holy fear, but a lot of our anger, a lot of our fear, a lot of our, well, divisive attitudes get in the way and kill holy moments. A pursuit of holiness is an antidote to the unhealthy versions of these emotions. We're going to talk about doubt this year. Our society treats doubt like it is the death knell of faith. However, doubt can be a doorway to the holy. So, God's been leading me into exploring a bunch of topics this year, a lot more than even I just listed. We've got a whole bunch of them we're getting ready to dig into. And I want to challenge you to also dig into the idea of holy this year. As you read your Bibles, make notes when you see that word holy. Make notes when you get a sense as you're reading a text of the holy presence of God, of God calling his people to be holy. And I want to challenge you to think of holy in three dimensions this year. The first one is this, that we are going to encounter a holy God. And I really want you to think about what it means to be excited about encountering God and and His holiness and, and what that holiness looks like. The second dimension is that we are, as His people, to become holy. We're not to stay the same, but something about us is to transform, to change. And truly, it's locked up in the, the idea of the word holy that we are to be set apart. We are to be very real of substance for God. And the third dimension I want you to think of is that we are to help others see the holiness of God. Now, today, I want to direct our attention to Exodus chapter 34, verses 1 through 9. It's a text about Moses encountering God. And this is a a part of the story where Moses receives the Ten Commandments from God, but it's the second time around. Because Moses, in anger, he smashed the original set of the Ten Commandments. And, And what was it that angered Moses so much that he smashed the tablets? of the covenant that are written by God himself, and they were really written by God himself. Exodus chapter 32, verse 6 says, The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. I mean, you, you got to be mad to want to smash something handwritten by God. Well, what made Moses mad was Israel. See, while they were waiting on this word from God, um, they abandoned God. And they made an idol, a golden calf to worship. They are engaged in a very unholy activity. And yeah, while there was certainly very sinful and selfish intent in this act of idolatry and unholiness, some scholars even wonder if Israel was responding with a form of panic. Because Moses had always been their mediator between them and God, and he'd been missing for a long time up on the mountain there, starting to wonder, is this guy ever coming back? And some people wonder, did they panic and try to figure out what to do? 
and they really messed up. And I, I kind of go, you know, I don't know that all of us say we wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to do something awful today. But sometimes we wake up and we go, you know, I don't know what to do. And we panic and we do something dumb. Either way, Israel is really messing up. So the account of Moses smashing the tablets when he sees Israel sinning, it's very fierce. It's, uh, well, let's just put it this way. I, I wanted to get a little background to Exodus 34 before we read it. And I was reading 32 again when Moses smashed those tablets. And I thought, you know what? I'm glad as a pastor, this is not what I do. Um, it's not how you want your pastor to respond to your sins, uh, what Moses does. It's, you can find in Exodus 32, 19 and 20, it says, When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And then he took the golden calf that the people had made and burned it with fire. He ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. That is some fierce, I don't even know if we can call that pastoral care, other than he's making them own their sin. Literally. And after Moses cools down, he goes back to God to seek forgiveness for Israel. And our text is part of that encounter with God. And though the word holy is not necessarily in the text... It is full of the awesome holiness of God. So, hear the words from Exodus 34, verses 1 through 9. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets, like the first ones, and I'll write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even on not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones, and went went up uh, Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming. And I want you to hear what I'm about to read. These are God's words to Moses. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love for thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, If I have found favor in your eyes, let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. The story we just read, all that text, though the word holy doesn't appear in it, It is all about the holy presence of God and what Moses is doing in the presence of a holy God. And God's holy presence, as I read this text, I see that God's holy presence requires a few things from us. It requires obedience. 
This passage is full of the need for obedience. Moses must follow God's instructions for preparing a new set of stone tablets. The Israelites and even their animals must obey and not look up onto the mountain. His presence is so powerful that everyone must be kept from seeing him. The unbridled presence of God would overwhelm the people, so not even the animals are allowed to be near the mountain. Without obedience, there's no second set of stone tablets. There's no second chance. Now, Jesus purchases forgiveness for us. But for it to work, we must have an obedient heart that lets Christ in and then submits to Christ. I heard a story. This is a little sermon illustration here. I heard a story about a little boy who wanted to give God an offering, but had nothing to give. He sat on the floor watching people pass by and place their offerings in the large wicker baskets. How he longed to give something to the Savior he so dearly loved. He walked to the front of the church, grabbed the rim of the basket, and hoisted himself inside. When the deacons went to retrieve the boy, one scolded him, saying, This is not a play area. Embarrassed and bewildered, the little boy responded, I didn't have anything to give to the Lord, so I was going to give him myself. That's the kind of obedience God's looking for, that we would give ourselves to Him. When we do that, we open the door to His holy presence and to holiness growing in our lives. Holiness also requires truth. This story is loaded with facing the truth. There is an undercurrent of Israel facing their sin all through this story. I mean, we don't really read about them going, oh yeah, we messed up. But the whole story is about them facing their sin. I mean, even uh, when God talks to Moses and says, you know, why don't you, I need you to go and cut out some new tablets to replace the first ones, which you broke. You know, God's pointing out even Moses, you know, Moses, you messed up here too. And as Moses encounters the person of God, he sees him and God declares himself to Moses. And there's truth in that declaration, not just in seeing sin, but in seeing the truth of who God is. Uh, Verses 6 and 7 of our text today in, in Exodus 34, they are cherished in the Jewish faith. In the Jewish faith, these are called the 13 attributes of God. And the Jewish people say that those verses are so precious. They they appear all over the Old Testament. But in particular here in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, they are precious because they are a description of God, but it is God who is speaking and describing himself. So it's not just what Moses thinks God is like, but it is God describing himself. Now, I'm not going to go and and we're we're not going to dig into all 13 attributes. I... I'll say this, if if you just look at that in English, it's hard to see 13. I will tell you, the Jewish people say three of those attributes are actually the names of God mentioned in the text, because he mentions his name Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, twice, and they say that's two different attributes. We'll, we won't unpack that today. But there's all kinds of other attributes mentioned, that he's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, and that he's abounding in love, and he's abounding in faithfulness, and he maintains love, and he's forgiving 
uh, three at three different levels. Um, he is forgiving sin. He's forgiving rebellion. He's forgiving wickedness. If we are unwilling to face the truth about ourselves and our sinfulness, if we are unwilling to face the truth about who God is, we cannot encounter the holy. There's a lot of humility in this text. This is shown in several ways, not least of which is with Moses bowing down and worshiping God. When he encounters the presence of God, he's down on the ground worshiping. And I want to mention Moses' response to God's appearance. God speaks who he is, and then Moses bows down and he worships, and then he makes a plea that has three parts. Moses' plea says, God, go with us. God, forgive us. And God, take us as your inheritance. And that last request is very pointed. Actually, in the NIV, it says, take us as your inheritance. The New American Standard Bible actually renders inheritance a little stronger because they know the word there in Hebrew is just a little stronger. And so they render it, take us as your possession. And I think when you think about what an inheritance is, it is a, it's a possession. I, an inheritance is receiving a possession that is being passed on to you. And so to say, yeah, take us as your possession, that's strong language. Moses has encountered the holy presence of God, and he knows that it is in that holiness that Israel needs to remain. Take us as your possession. Now, my question for you is, can you ask what Moses asked? God, take me, take my family. Take my nation, take my community as your possession. You know, there's actually a lot of surrender in that request. Perhaps these words from Martin Luther will help. Martin Luther says, I have held many things in my hands, and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. So, will you seek the holy? Will, how will you approach God? Many people simply say, you know, Jesus is a nice guy. He's a great teacher. I like him. Or a lot of people think of God the Father as some sort of wizard in the sky granting wishes. Or really, they think of the Holy Spirit that way as well. A genie granting wishes, giving powers. An awful lot of people see God as angry, ready to throw lightning bolts at them. Do you see him as holy? Leviticus chapter 11 verses 44 through 45 says this, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves on the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. And just to affirm that uh, what is said in the Old Testament is echoed in the New Testament, we also have 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 through 16, which says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. My hope is that this year you will hunger for more of the holy presence of God in your life, and that this holiness will grow in you. 
and that you will help others to see the holiness of God this year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for drawing near to us. We are, quite honestly, if compared to you, we are unholy, and we are so very sinful. Lord, I pray that we would have as much surrender in our hearts as Moses did, that we would ask you to take us as your possession. Lord, help us to hunger this year for that which is holy, that we would encounter each day your holy presence, that we would grow in holiness and that we would help others to see your holy presence and your holy presence at work all around them all the time. Help us to grow in this way this year. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.